Thanks for listening to our podcast. Peterson Toyota, who's a great Ram Nation partner, has been proudly serving the Fort Collins, Windsor, and Loveland communities since 1968. They're a family-owned and operated business, and they're committed to making the car buying and service experience smooth and stress-free with a friendly and accommodating staff in all their departments. Inventory is still an issue in the car business today, but Peterson Toyota prioritizes their inventory for local customers, ensuring that you have the best selection around. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to Ram Nation Radio. Joel Cannell Messa. I'll be joined by Mike Rowe and Athletic Director Joe Parker shortly for our monthly call with Joe to ask him all sorts of stuff, including talk about conference expansion, which is back at the front burner once again. But uh, real quick, as we watched the, the Rams drop another tough home game last night, I, I, I watched the watch the game. I'll flip on Ram Nation. I'll be browsing through the boards, and I I get it, man. I I am so frustrated by the losing as much as everybody. And I get the off the cuff and, and angry posts and, you know, it's, but one thing you, you got to understand is that this team is so shorthanded. It's missing some of the key pieces it really needed to have this year, obviously. Um, and you're still missing Jalen Lake uh, as one of the guys who is not out for the season. It kills you. He's a defender. He's a perimeter defender, brings energy and length that you need and uh, you don't have him. And it's tough. So the Rams lose a tough one, 80 to 78, uh, a, a game that they kind of controlled in the first half, uh, then went through another stretch. Like we always seem to go through, I believe it was a 20, 20 to four Boise State run. I think we were up six at one point. And uh, next thing you know, we were down 10 and uh, really just a bad stretch there. And, and it seems like it happens almost every night. I know Nico in the post game was was talking about the fight of his team, but uh, how he's getting tired of of the tough breaks and just not being able to come out on top. Said it was a game that they should have won. I thought you got a lot of really good performances. Um, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, we started really slow with with your two of your scorers, Isaiah Stevens and Patrick Cartier, in the first half were pretty non-existent. I think they were a combined one for ten in the first half, uh, and then. I think Patrick also was like two for six or something like that from the free throw line in the first half. So it was a really, uh, you missed a chance to extend the lead uh, early on and then at least to have the lead instead of being down six or whatever it was at half. Um, and then, you know, those two guys caught fire in the second half and that was great. It's just, it, unfortunately, the first half, there was that stretch there, it just killed you. And um, I think a common theme was lack of rebounding uh, the offensive rebounding by uh, Boise State just seemed like every time they missed a shot, uh, they were able to get the offensive rebound, especially on on threes. And they were uh, they ended up catch, catching fire late on some threes, but they were badly missing some threes earlier in the game, air balls and whatnot. It just always seemed to land in a Boise State player's hand, and and then they would kill you with a follow up bucket or or worse, a three. So I thought that was a big, big issue, you know, and then it was a battle of basically two, two very similar teams. And the fact that they don't have a lot of depth, not a great bench. Boise does not have a great bench. They're basically all of their output came from their starters, much like ours. I think they had seven bench points. We had 10, but Dagan Hart was a killer as always. I mean, he didn't, he didn't go off, but he was very efficient. Seven, seven of 10 uh, from the field, three of, four from three he finished with 19 points also had six rebounds it was just he's just a just a really really good player i know nico medved has called him an mvp type player from mountain west um uh naji smith had 17 they had shavers and, and agbo both had 15 so they they were very efficient max rice they did a good job on max rice he didn't he didn't kill you which in the past he has which is very very aggravating you know, and then for CSU, same thing. I mean, all of our uh, uh, four of our starters, you had Cartier with 18, Isaiah Stevens with 17, Tanjay with 16, and, and Isaiah Rivera, I thought, had some really good moments, too. He had 13 points, and it's just, I think, the rebounding killed you. We had a couple very untimely turnovers, and I just thought that um, it, I, I think you got to 
believe that Isaiah Stevens was affected by the ankle injury or whatever it was, uh, but he was he was hobbling and to see him pull out the performance he did in the second half, despite that, despite the pain that he was in was amazing. But you also would have liked to have seen him have that ball at the end of the game. You'd like to see Tanjay give the ball up to, to Zay and see what Zay could do. And, um, and other points in the game where you just thought he, Isaiah passed up some mid range jumpers that he normally would take and bury. And uh, that the, I can think of the one possession when late in the game, he goes to pass to Isaiah Rivera, who he thought was going to be breaking for a back door and Rivera did not. And we threw the ball away. And that was just a really killer moment there to have that wasted possession. So a couple of times, I just thought that, that Isaiah, you just like him to be a little more selfish there and, and, and shoot, <laughs> but you wonder if he was affected a little bit by that, that, that angle. So all that being said, John Tanjay, Drives the ball up in desperation with six seconds left after a missed free throw. A three would have given you the win. A two would have tied. I think they collapsed on him and he kind of panicked. I thought he had a chance to hit Isaiah on the sideline or uh, let Isaiah set a pick because it looked like Isaiah was calling for that. He also had Cartier potentially uh, just inside the three towards the top of the key uh, who was breaking towards the free throw line. And instead, Tanjay launches up a three. It falls well short. In the replay, sure made it look like Degenhart got him on the arm. And Tanjay's body language and reaction sure made it seem like he thought he was fouled. And to me, the ball was either tipped or he was fouled. And the ball definitely didn't look tipped. So he, I believe he was fouled, and that affected the shot. You got to call it. You got a call. You see those calls made all the time. We didn't get a call. So anyway, another frustrating loss at home to a team that uh, is one of the best teams in the league. They're going to challenge for the conference championship. And we had a chance. We're right there to to win that game and and just couldn't get it done. And that's been the story of the season, just not having enough firepower. I I saw um, 92 Yankee Ram post this on the board. I don't know if it was in jest, but he said, hey, can we stop? saying that this team doesn't have the talent to to compete in this league. And and I see what he's saying uh, as far as that goes. I mean, because we've been in a lot of these games. We just can't seem to get over the top and make enough plays to pull them out. I would argue that that this team on various nights can compete when they play at their best. But can, as far as consistency goes and, and winning and being in a game every night, I don't think this team has the firepower with the the injuries and the guys out that we have. The guys on the court last night gave their all. You're missing key components. You're missing size inside. Josiah Strong, you're missing his defense and ability to hit threes as well. Obviously, Jalen Lake is another shooter and a good defender. So those, those are three just killers right there that you're missing uh, from this team. And if you have those, I, I believe if you have all three of those guys consistently and we we minimize some of the other injuries that we've had this year. I think you can definitely say that this team would have been in the top half, I believe of the league standings this year, but way, way, way too many uh, injuries and illnesses and adversity for this team. And and right now you're, you're playing, the guys are getting minutes that in an ideal year are, are probably only spelling starters for a few minutes here and there. So that's where we're at. So another frustrating loss. We'll talk a little bit more about the game and basketball in general with Steve Ivey and Mike Rowe tonight as we bring on Tavy Jackson, Patrick Cartier, and Isaiah Rivera. So stay tuned for that. All right, let me pause real quick and tell you about Ginger and Baker. We have talked about their amazing pie lineup, which includes some of the best pies you will ever taste, including some of my favorites, the double crust apple pie, maple pecan pie, chocolate peanut butter. Oh, but their savory pies are equally as famous. We all know about the delectable chicken pot pie, but they have recently added to their cafe menu two new savory pot pies. Also, the veggie pot pie with a creamy filling, bursting with veggies and fresh herbs. And then the short rib pot pie, which is chock full of slow braised short ribs, veggies, and brown gravy. Delicious. The cafe has a ton of other amazing farm-to-table American comfort food classics. And of course, for an even more elevated experience, you can dine at Ginger and Baker's other primary restaurant, The Cash, which is a modern Colorado steakhouse offering steaks and chops, fine wine, good whiskey. Ginger Baker also features a coffee shop, event spaces, a market, a teaching kitchen. This place is amazing, guys. Support our friend Ginger Graham and treat yourself to a world-class experience at our favorite place, Ginger and Baker. 
All right. We are pleased to bring in CSU Athletic Director Joe Parker. Joe is joining us live from San Diego, traveling with the women's basketball team out in beautiful, sunny San Diego, although it is 7 a.m. there at the moment. So we we thank Joe for his dedication to joining us every month. Joe, I know uh, you being in San Diego or not at the men's basketball game last night, another tough home loss for this team, a shorthanded team that played their guts out. I mean, they, they missed some opportunities to put that game away earlier and uh, just didn't make enough plays down the stretch, a couple turnovers. But you had Isaiah just playing on one foot, basically, and uh, just the heart of this team has been impressive. What uh, I assume that you had a chance to watch it out there. <laughs> you just got to be pulling what you have left of your hair out with the way that these games have gone down, you know, at home in Moby, especially. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an understatement to say it's been a challenging season. You, you just feel for the team and the staff, right? You know, they have been short handed on the roster, just the availability of players um, based on illness and, an injury, but, you know, Nico, you know, that's, that's not where Nico wants to go. You know, they still got to find a way to compete. They still have to find a way to, you know, to, to win games and, and they're, they're close in many cases. And that's, what's frustrating is when you, you have an opportunity and especially at a home game where, you know, it's difficult to win in the mountain West, particularly on the road. So if you can focus on, you know, earning your home wins, that, that makes, makes it level out a little bit, but yeah, it, um, I did watch, you know, I was probably many people watching on FS1 and was pulling for them, of course. And, you know, they had a really good early spurt in the, in the first half and then ended up with a five point deficit and, and battled back. So it was pretty impressive to see what they're able to do. It's been, it's been frustrating. Um, you know, especially then you're still missing Jalen Lake last night. who's apparently still in the concussion protocol. It seems like a long stretch there, but this team, they, they don't quit, which is nice, but just, it's been, it's been a tough season for sure. Yeah, it has been, you know, Nico and I had a chance to connect last week for, you know, just a, a little deeper conversation. And it was one that I was just offering support to him. You know, I re reminded him he, he's Nico Medved, you know, he's, he's the head coach of CSU basketball. This doesn't feel good. Um, in many ways, he's never experienced a season like this as a head coach. So it's a little bit of foreign territory for him. So I just wanted to offer reassurances that, you know, we believe in his leadership and we're excited about what's ahead. And we know that uh, they're going to make the right adjustments, you know, through the remainder of the season and and, and certainly in the offseason to get us back on a on a track where, you know, we're, we're much more competitive in our conference and, and hopefully earning opportunities to be in postseason play. Well, at this pace, uh, you know, it looks like we are, unless we make a little run here, this, this very tough last stretch of games could be in that 10-11 matchup going into Las Vegas for the Mountain West Tournament. On a good note, it would, be, it would create an exciting play-in game with Wyoming, but uh, obviously you want to avoid that. I had a quick question, though, separate from all that. Um, I don't know, did you hear anything about an incident with uh, Boise State coaches kind of going into the stands last night and chirping with a, a, co a fan. I don't know if it was a student or not. I saw a guy that, that Mike and I both know Kevin Coonan, who, who tweeted this last night, he sits courtside and, and he had said that there were a couple of assistant coaches that probably had had enough of the fan chirping. And after the game kind of went up at the fan, I don't know if you heard anything about that. Yeah, I did. I, I got a text from Jeremiah Dickey at Boise State immediately after the game. And you know, I, I you know didn't quite understand the context, uh, so I called called back to Fort Collins and talked to Steve Cottingham, Chris Ferris, just to get a feel for what what may have been the the game management issue. And at that point, they didn't have a whole lot of detail. Just described what you did, and then I saw Kevin's tweet as well, and you know, Chris shared that with me. So. You know, it's just it, it's, you know, it's highly competitive environment. You know, I, I get it. People get frustrated, people, you know, but but, you know, ultimately, you know, we're all accountable to our actions. And we've got to we've got to be, uh, you know, focused on just getting off the court, particularly after a game. So, um, you know, you know, much, as much as I do, uh, you know, I think there's some awareness at the conference office. But ultimately, I think the parties were interviewed and, and you know, I don't think there was any any next action steps by any means. 
Are you at all concerned with our fan behavior or lack of security? Maybe I don't know what you call it, but especially coming off of the the issue that made national headlines. What was that a week or or slow over a week ago with the Russia chant? You know, anything that you have on the radar as far as trying to curb that kind of stuff, fan behavior and making sure security is tighter. I don't know what you do. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we've got great partners with um, Landmark, you know, which is kind of our first interface with fans on game day. You know, they manage event security and just crowd management and they're they're monitoring, you know, what's going on and trying to counsel people that are getting a little bit over their skis on on behavior, um, you know, and. We also obviously have CSUPD as a partner. And, and so, you know, when we look towards the rest of the season, you know, with Wyoming going to be in the building, you know, we want to make sure that we've got appropriate uh, security around their bench in particular. So we'll, we'll, we'll monitor that carefully. We'll, we'll keep close eyes on it. We might add a little more staffing around there. Um, but, it, you know, it's a, it's a challenge nationally. You know, it just I think people are starting to reduce their their own self-observance of, of how they should behave, you know, lines are crossed and, and uh, you know, people react and it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, one incident can spoil a pretty special evening. Well, I would welcome the additional security around uh, the visitor bench. That's where my season tickets are six rows up right behind their bench. And, you know, most of the visiting fans that are family, right, and and that are sitting in that particular area. But I will tell you, there are some games, and particularly just recently the UNLV game, where they – I don't mind people getting raucous and, and you know, and celebrating their own team. Um, and I haven't had anybody, like, point their ire or anything at, at me, so I had no problem with that. But I, they just – constantly move seats like i see them shuffling and trying to get in closer to mid-court and i'm like that's those are not your seats and you know i just watch this happen and it people keep you know they're standing in everybody's way and and there's no security to to stop them so um i would welcome a little a little heavier presence there by by the visitor bench but and that's Joel with his uh, get off my lawn speech right there. I know. I, I try not to be that guy, but <laughs> come on. I'm trying to watch a game. I don't need uh, As he's you know, musical, musical chairs, before. you know, people moving <laughs> chairs every two seconds. So, so uh, I got a question about officials, and this isn't necessarily about calls. And I, I know it's been tough when you look back to the San Diego State game and Wyoming games and, and last night the the non-calls or the uh, the calls made it, it's been tough but my question is just the lack of quality officials um and this isn't just an issue with the mountain west the ncaa it's from high school all the way to the nba i know chasa here in colorado uh recently d- made some changes at, uh had some additions to try to recruit new uh referees in all sports so is are there discussions at the conference and national levels on how to increase the the talent pool always yeah we're always trying to figure out creative ways to to open up the pipeline to increase the pipeline to get more people involved to uh you know get more rigor in the in the training you know exercises that the officials go through and you know mike i i it it you know, when you look at youth sports, it's a miserable job to be an official. And I, and I think that just kind of sets the tone from there, you know, um, you know, where you think there'd be a, a lot of people that are kind of getting into that that side of sports and, and developing and then eventually kind of matriculating at higher levels. It, it's just, you know, so it I, I wish I had a better answer. Um, it, it is something that we constantly talk about. It's it's probably only going to get more challenging. Um, you know, I was thinking the other day, you know, eventually will, will there be technology, you know, artificial intelligence that catches up that gives us, you know, an alternative or an option. I don't know if that's the case or not, but, but you know, I, I don't know that it gets any better in the immediate near term, but it is something that we're going to continue to have focus on. It's a lot of discussion at the conference level, of course. Um, I think with Gloria Navarez, our new commissioner coming on board, you know, she's going to She's going to put her focus on that, uh, and and we just got to figure out a way to make it better because it's such an important, obviously, it's such an important part of the game, and we want, you know, we want to have uh, a balanced officiating uh, experience for for teams because you know students put so much effort into their craft, and and you want to 
want to make sure that there's not an imbalance created by by who's overseeing the, the game and implementing the rules. Well, it was great to see you uh, a couple weeks ago at one of our favorite winter events, the recruiting roundup at Denver Country Club. What were your impressions from the event? And just curious, because it's got to be a considerable investment of time from your staff and your and the football coaching staff for what's pretty, it's an intimate event. I mean, a couple hundred people there maybe. Yeah. So what, what makes yeah. that worthwhile to, to host those events? Cause we love them, but, but for yeah. you guys, it's a good, it's a big investment time-wise. No, it's, it's just that. I mean, you know, I think everyone that, that attends that event experiences what you, what you did, right. I mean, it, it is just a nice way to, to gather, to create community, to get some insight as to you know, where our football program is, how it's developing, you know, the personality coaches get revealed in those conversations. And when they speak to the crowd this year, we had student athletes involved, um, which I thought was a really nice touch to the event. Um, you, you really get an idea for how they view, you know, leadership in the locker room, the importance of building culture. Uh, so I, I it's it's our it's by far one of our favorite events, probably our, fa- our, our the favorite event for, you know, our staff, our football staff and you know, we'll continue to do it. You know, we've done it now two years at the Denver Country Club. I think eventually once Cherry Hills has their clubhouse finished, we'll probably go back there because that's where it's historically been. But it's a nice, nice event and a wonderful experience for fans. And, you know, I wish, wish we could get, you know, I mean, you always want more people there, right? I think we had 150 people that had pre-registered. And then, and then I think we had a pretty good walk up of folks that just showed up on the evening of. So I, I I agree. There's probably close to 200 people there. Well, yeah, we love it. It is a great time. Um, you mentioned the student athletes being there. I think it was the first time I, be- I believe that we've ever had student athletes there. And I think from my understanding, talking with John, what made that possible was the fact that I think they were paid an appearance fee to come to at least join the, the reception, the pre-event reception that he was hosting. And then uh, obviously they stayed and participated in the, in the main event. But um, what were you, did you, attend the reception i don't know if you're allowed to attend the uh green and gold card reception you know i i uh i was i was in the building but i didn't go to the pre-event reception and and honestly joel i don't know what (laughs) (laughs) there's there's so much you know just just vagueness and i thought you know i know everyone in that room you know the people that are part of the green and gold guard that were invited to the pre-event reception i know student athletes and i just thought you know you know, with just a little ambiguity, what what would my presence have added? And I'm not sure. So I just thought to err on the side of, you know, being respectful of what what, you know, what may be, you know, rules or or I just I just decided I'd kind of stay out. It wasn't absolutely intentional. I mean, I got involved in a couple of conversations that that just didn't allow me kind of to peel off and get in there. But, you know, I got to applaud what what john weber is doing and the people that are supporting him i mean without without his effort we would be absolutely you know non-existent in the nil particularly the collective space so i mean you know to the to ram nation i mean if you're trying to figure out a way to have an immediate impact on on the student athlete experience you know consider supporting the green and gold guard i think it's it's something that over time is going to become instrumental for us to to, to in particular retain talent, you know, I, I, I think it, and, you know, if you, if you talk to John, he, you know, we're never going to be in a position where, where, you know, anyone has life transforming, you know, uh, funding coming through the green and gold guard, but as a college student to have some gaps filled, you know, when you get close to the end of the month and your stipend check is a little bit light, um, you know, in that last week, you know, to have a couple extra hundred dollars, maybe through, through, uh, you know, an appearance that you made that month makes a huge difference. So, you know, I'm making my, my pitch and I hope, uh, I hope Ram nation responds. I've seen, uh, I saw a couple people say after hearing him speak at the event, they were going to join. I saw people uh, tweet after we had talked about John, uh, on our last podcast and they, they said they were on board. So I think it's slowly catching on. Obviously there's a long way to go and it's still very young. But uh, it, uh, he he amazes me. That guy amazes me. John Weber, the amount of time he's put in and thought and uh, the way he's organized it is amazing. The other thing I thought was cool was to see Jack Graham at the event. 
you know, he he's not just there attending. From what I understand, John said that he's actually involved in and in putting time into this event, this effort as well. What's your relationship with him? I, I just find him fascinating. I know that, you know, obviously he has a huge background with the university as a former student athlete, obviously former athletic director uh, who you took over for. But you could see a guy maybe like that be a little disenchanted after being let go however many years ago, seven, eight years ago, whatever it was. And, and he's still very much involved, still very much loves the university. Just curious about what your relationship is like with him and, and your impressions of him. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, you come into a new situation and you, you honor the past. I mean, you, you, uh, you know, I appreciate everything that everyone, including Jack did to put CSU where it is today. And uh, you know, I, I, um, you know, I see Jack around the community. Um, you know, I, I, I see him every once in a while when I'm in Ginger and Baker. I see him at other events. Uh, I see him at, you know, our our games. And, you know, it it uh, you know, it is nice to see that he's, you know, feels comfortable enough to, to be a part of the community and, and wants to contribute. And I know that he's been helpful with the Green and Gold Guard as they prop that up. I think he's done some event hosting at, at his house and at, and at uh, Ginger and Baker. And, and you know, we we need everyone. Um, you know, if we're going to be successful, we've got to make <clears throat> space for everyone to be a contributor in some way to helping us advance. It's It's just that important to make sure that, you know, we've got really strong alignment and the people that care about CSU have opportunities to, to plug in and make a difference. Well, Joe, we avoided this topic for a little while, but uh, conference realignment has reared its ugly head once again. And, you know, the reports that a PAC 12 invitation to San Diego state is inevitable. I think we asked this about you uh, from you three months ago or something like that. And there wasn't as much, uh, smoke, but there is now, it seems, have there been any further discussions when we talked last time, you said there really hadn't been any internal discussions about what would happen if they were leave now that it seems like further down the road, are, are there any internal mountain West discussions about this possibility and what contingencies there might be to replace them? Or would you stay at 10 for basketball, 11 for football or any, anything going on? Yeah, uh, kind of all the above, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, we live in a world of uncertainty and there's always seems to be, you know, sudden and sometimes unanticipated change and, and you've got to figure out a way to adapt to it. You know, Gloria, <clears throat> Gloria just onboarded on January 1st. She's been doing kind of her listening tour, trying to understand each of our individualized campuses. I think she's about halfway through the conference and, and we've had, uh, you know, she's participated in one in-person meeting. We had a board of directors meeting before she started, which is the presidents and the ADs are invited to join that. That was in December. Um, you know, so I think she's just trying to get her feet on the ground, understand, uh, you know, the landscape a little bit more. Uh, you know, I, I think if if there is a uh, an invitation for San Diego State to join the Pac-12, uh, I, there'll be options for us what um, as a league, you know, to, to either hold Pat or, you know, potentially look at expansion. But, you know, until until you're kind of faced with the exact circumstances, it's hard to sort of, you know, chart the exact path forward, um, you know, from a timing perspective and everything else. And, you know, every one of us would accept, you know, a conversation to, to consider, you know, the, the opportunity to trade up. You know, I've always consistently said that we want to play at the highest level of FBS football. And and even if we don't uh, see an opportunity in this in this line, this next round of a realignment, if it were to take place, I still am really enthused. You know, I said it at the at uh, the Ram Roundup event in Denver, you know, our, our path to the CFP is pretty clear now you know in 2024 when it expands from four teams to 12 teams and there is one spot that's reserved for the sixth uh, highest ranked conference champion um, I see that as being us and I know that's kind of a could be considered a bold statement when we haven't won a conference championship since 2002 but but I believe coach Norvell has got the right things in place to put us in that position and at the moment that we achieve a Mountain West championship, there's a very strong likelihood that we would be the sixth ranked 
conference champion and, and we're in the CFP and that will be transformational. And that's hopefully a vision that everyone can buy into and, and support. Awesome. So the other program, the other university as part of this discussion seems to be SMU. The PAC 12 was looking at potentially adding San Diego state SMU, according to reports, it's gotta be frustrating to you as it is to us, because we look at that and you, you talk about this all the time that these power five conferences, the autonomous five conferences that are looking at maybe picking off top G five conferences, they are, they're going to look for people that are going to bring eyeballs to television. They're going to want people that bring in big crowds to, to events. Right. But you look at a, a school like SMU good academics. Obviously they're in a, in Dallas, which is nice, but do they really bring the eyeballs to Dallas? I mean, did you, you look, I looked at the, their attendance. They, they averaged 25,000 fans for football last year. They have a five-year average under 22,000. So it's not like um, it's, it's not like they're a hot commodity. Uh, what, what drives some of this I, as, as you talk to us almost every month saying, Hey, we need to get more eyeballs. We need fans to get on board if we want to be a, uh, have an opportunity here, but doesn't look like SMU's fans are doing their part, but yeah, here they are. Well, I, I think there's a few things at play with SMU. Um, you know, there's always an attraction to getting into the state of Texas. You know, they, they're a state with, you know, I think better than 26 million people, um, highly, highly fertile grounds for high school football recruitment. SMU, while they're, you know, private school, small enrollment, you know, they do sit in a very attractive you know, DFW Metroplex. And fan engagement comes in a, a few different ways, right? They don't have the numbers, but they deliver in a different way with fan engagement. They have incredible levels of private support to their athletic department, to their university. Their their picture looks dramatically different than, uh, you know, like us as Colorado State in that regard. And I think they've also been able to develop pretty robust programming around NIL. And I think that's something that everyone's viewing is going to be necessary in the, in the ongoing competitive landscape of FBS football. So they, they check a couple boxes really hard that, that, you know, we're trying to figure out how to develop, you know, in a way. And, and so it does go back to just fan engagement. And, you know, every time I bring it up, you know, you know, I get beat up, it seems by it, but I, I don't know any other way to say it. You know, we got to find people that care in ways that they haven't cared before about Colorado State athletics and just go all in, um, you know, it, 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 you know, and that's our job. That's my job. That's the job of our, our team, you know, development, our external relations and, and the way that we tell our story and get people engaged around our programs. But, but, um, you know, we're, we're right now at a, a different, uh, you know, level of maturation, I think, than, than SMU as it relates to private support. And that's something that I think, you know, has been probably a differentiator for them in this round. And in and, and geography, we can't change that, right? I mean, that, you know, they're, they're in a, a very, you know, rich, robust market where there's a lot of people. You know, you look at what TCU has done, I think, you know, they, they're probably thinking with, you know, further investment, you know, SMU might be able to, you know, do that. And they've, they've, you know, they've had a, even when you look back over their history, now some of it is, you know, a bit challenged. You know, they're the only program in the history of FBS football that was received the death penalty. But, <clears throat> but, um, you know, they they had extremely high performing football programs in the past. And that's not to say that we haven't, but, you know, even there, I think they've had it on a different level. That's a great ESPN 30 for 30, by the way. Yeah. Know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so all those things being said with some of the shortcomings or or areas that CSU still needs to get better at, are you still able to have active conversations with the Pac-12 or the Big 12 through some of your existing connections? Um, I know, obviously, we've talked pretty in-depth in the past about the 2016 exploratory process that uh, the Big 12 had and how we were part of that. Um, but are you still able to today uh, share our message or the vision that you've got for your CSU and what we could bring to a to one of those leagues, uh, despite our current lack of, of progress in football? Uh, yeah, I mean, people still pick the phone up and answer and they'll enter into conversations. But, you know, this this has felt different, you know, every every time since 2016, it's felt a little bit different as 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 it relates to 
you know, the metrics and the measurements and how people are making their assessments. You know, San Diego State, you know, has the, the good fortune in this case to sit in Southern California and they lost, you know, two schools in the L.A. market. You know, I don't know that San Diego State delivers the L.A. market, but it gives them a toehold, um, you know, and I, and I think it's it's also, you know, if that happens, it's a preemptive move potentially um, from the Big 12 that you know, Brett Yarmark, Yarmark, the um Commissioner there has said that you know he wants a national footprint, and and really the the only time zone they don't have is is a Pacific time zone. So you know he's going to try and continue to push in that direction if he can. Um, but but we'll see. You know, I mean it. it um, you know the, you know if you if you pay attention to what else is being said about the Pac-12 media rights deal, you know they're they're probably going to have to tuck a lot of their content behind. Um, you know, into into a streaming channel, and you know that's that's good. That's kind of a pioneering move. It's it's uh, sort of new space, um, but I think that also generates some concern for those member institutions about you know will we still have the same level of awareness? Will the accessibility of our content still be as easy as it is when it's associated with a linear platform? Um, will they get the right financials? Uh, you know, how long will the term of their deal be? Will they be able to get everyone to sign into a grant of rights? If they don't get a grant of rights, then, you know, it's a fragile alliance that, that uh, quite frankly, can be, you know, disrupted easily. Um, you know, will a new Big Ten commissioner come in and, and look at the landscape and decide that, you know, the, the current composition of the Big Ten needs to have more presence on the West Coast? I think that's a likely scenario. You know, who... Who do they go to? What do they look towards? You know, and, and I think it's pretty obvious that Washington and Oregon are two schools that that would, uh, you know, have that appeal to, you know, a, 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 an expansion mindset within the Big Ten. And if that happens, I think, you know, the four corner schools that have been talked about, you know, really think long and hard where they should be and, and the Big 12 goes. And then, you know, it's a whole different situation about how things get aligned at that point, you know. And then, you know, San Diego State and SMU, if they if they make this move, then where are they at that point? They're about where they started. Right. So. So I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't have any great answers right now other than we need to worry about who we are and, you know, get get football to perform at the highest level possible. And I'm confident that Jay can do that. I hope our fans respond when it happens. The reason I asked that question is I, I read a report just I think it was yesterday that the Big 12 has said that upwards of 20 schools have reached out to them with interest. <laughs> Obviously everyone's going to have interest in doing that, but just wondering, and I know our fans are wondering, are we one of those squeaky wheels that have reached out and, and make sure that, Hey, we, we are interested. I spent a lot of my career in big 12 territory. I grew up in this administrative leadership higher ed space with many of the people that are decision makers in that conference rest assured that I'm doing my very best to keep connected to the people that would be important to any decision for CSU. Very good. Love it. Love hearing that. Um, so let's focus on CSU, right? Uh, track and field started off great so far. Uh, good indoor season as we're heading into the outdoor women's tennis, just defeated Nebraska for the first time in 26 tries. Uh, women's softball went three and zero last weekend. Uh, men's golf is they're starting off the season ranked at 23rd swimming and diving are undefeated going into the mountain west championships um as we head into this spring season can you give us a you know kind of an update uh kind of your feelings on uh what we're looking like in in all these spring sports yeah it's it's um you know i think we're you know, we have yet to earn a conference championship this year. I think we've got some great opportunities as we move into the spring season with these programs and, and a lot of their performing. You know, we, we've had, I think, 13 or 14 consecutive years where we've earned at least one Mountain West championship. So that's important to us. You know, I reflect back on last year, we earned two, but we had six teams that finished second in the Mountain West. And, and some of those only by points short of earning the trophy. So so, you know, I think by many measures, we're, we're uh, top to bottom, you know, the most competitive program in the Mountain West. And, you know, we have expectations that we're going to earn championships. So, you know, Coach Bedard, I mean, he's been the entire 
year calculating down to every point that he thinks he can earn and what's going to take what's it going to take to earn championships in the indoor for both the men and women you know he's already thinking about you know same exercise for the outdoor season um you know you know men's golf with michael wilson at the helm you know i, th I think you know christian has been so close in the last three years you know i think we've got a a very mature team that that uh, really understands you know what 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 a competitive mindset is necessary to to come away with that championship. So I, I'm proud of their focus. You know, my Lee came close last year as a first year head coach for us. You know, she'd come to us as a head coach from Drake um, and what she did in Nebraska, you know, that's pretty remarkable. I don't, I don't care. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what the state of the Nebraska roster is, but if you're an A5 school with A5 resources and we can go in and take a seven zero match off of them, that's, that's phenomenal. And uh, so proud of what she's doing as she builds her program. So we're, we're, you know, we're, we're fired up about what's ahead and um, we're going to keep pressing and really we, we talk every day about championship culture and what it takes. And, and we've got, um, you know, a lot of people committed to that cause. We talked to our student athletes about it routinely. Um, coaches obviously are responsible for building culture within their program, within their locker room, and find the right leadership voices. But, but we're really trying to use our our SAC group, which is our student athlete advisory committee, to to leverage that across all of the department. And we we have great conversations with them about, you know, what it takes. And you know, you got to fight back that sense of entitlement. You've got to understand that you know you've got a role to participate to play on your team regardless of whether you're a starter or a reserve um every everyone has an opportunity to make the the program better each and every day and we got to figure out what to keep that focus on so you know those are the things we think about those are the things we talk about and we're excited and energized with what's ahead for for the spring sports so sticking with the spring it comes up every year and that's baseball and i don't want to rehash it because we talked about it on this podcast before with you that said, if if we were to expand, if we were to add sports, and we'd have to add to a men and women's program, would it be something like looking at hockey uh, for both men and women's, or lacrosse, or something else? Yeah. So it, it you know, I, I think at some point in the future, and I've been saying this since I arrived, that was eight years ago. You know, we're going to have to make some decisions about our our. Uh, sports sponsorship you know, we're at 16 which is the ncaa minimum um, enrollment at the university keeps uh changing um to 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 the point you know where there's more females enrolling at csu than there are males so we've got to we've got to follow that that uh that percentage and uh you know we've been able to maintain compliance with our title nine numbers by doing a pretty aggressive um, exercise on roster management. You know, we we try and uh, have every one of our women's pro programs allocate all their scholarship dollars, even if there's, you know, even if they aren't really certain they have the talent that would merit, you know, scholarship, the scholarship award. Um, we encourage our, our women's teams to to try and fill out a full component of walk-ons. And then on the men's side, you know, we, we, we put some limitations on on what they can do, particularly in the walk-on space so that our participation numbers are appropriate. Uh, but Mike, to, to solve all of that, we, we will need to, at some point in the future, decide to add a women's program and, and maybe two. And when we've talked about that, uh, lacrosse is probably the most frequently discussed uh, option for us. It, it, it you know, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it just, it's got the right numbers. It, you know, it seems like it'd be a good fit for us um, as far as the culture of Colorado. You know, we've got some of the base facility um, needs that would be already met with, you know, our, our current field configurations and Canvas Stadium and some of the auxiliary locker room space we have over there. So, so you know, we'll, we'll have to make a determination. You know, and I, and I, I would guess within the next 24 to 36 months, we'll have to at least make a decision, put a plan in place, and develop a timeline. Wow, that's that's great to hear. That's great to hear. It's pretty fascinating. Joe, I had a question um, that we didn't get a chance to ask last month um, from Keith in North Carolina, longtime Ram fan, but he was asking about, and you kind of touched on her, but the new commissioner, Mountain West Commissioner Gloria Neverez, what changes, if any, do you anticipate under her leadership and I'm curious, is 
is to whether or not she has laid out any sort of a her own vision or plan for the league since she's arrived. I know she had only been there a short time, but has she laid out anything yet? Yeah, you know, I, I think she's getting a real appreciation for um, just the solidarity and collegiality that, that there exists in the room with the presidents and the ADs. I think uh, she's she's understanding, you know, the, the pride in place and that all of us, you know, feel good about, you know, how we compete. Um, I think she's really getting laser focused on on the brand and how she can build awareness for the conference. The content creation that they do at the league level is is you know changing a little bit. They're they're trying to focus more on talking points and encouraging each of us as ads and and the head coaches in particular to, to you know to borrow the microphone for a moment to to uh, you know shine the spotlight on on the good uh, competitive environment that's created within the Mountain West. You know, and certainly men's basketball this year, you know, it is is an area where there's a lot of points of pride for the conference and and our ability to compete, kind of garner some national recognition so that's that's going to be a big focus and and as we near to you know approach the end of the regular season and get into tournament play that's going to be something i think that they're going to amp up and continue to really press hard on um and and you know and even though you know we right now as a program are, are underperforming our expectations you know the the bottom half of the league is is better than it's ever been uh, you know and, and any one of us in any given season can can find the right mix of our roster to be highly competitive and be at the top of it as we were last year. You know, we were, we were second in the regular season in the mountain West and, and made a tournament bid. And I think we were the highest uh, seeded program in the mountain West. Well, we achieved our highest seed with six seeds. So, you know, there's great things to talk about. I think Gloria is kind of, you know, really turning her focus on those things. And as I said, she's made her, her way halfway around the conference. She hasn't met, she hasn't been on our, our campus yet, but we're excited when she does to to share all the good things happening at Colorado State. Along those lines, I think we asked you about this last month because she had just been named the new president, but uh, Amy Parsons been on the job for what, two months now. Anything of note? I know you know her, uh, but anything of note in her support of athletics and vision for the future of CSU athletics. I think it's cool when you see her on Twitter taking pictures with incoming football recruits and she's at the volleyball banquet and she's obviously uh, intertwined with athletics, which you, you love to see, but just curious as to your impressions on how involved she'll be with athletics. I think Amy Parsons is awesome. I think she is uh, going to be a remarkable leader for our campus and every facet of higher education. I think she's got a real vision for where she wants to take the institution. And it's it's uh, grounded in a strong foundation of, you know, care and passion for CSU. You know, she had her own student experience. Her daughter's on campus right now. Um, Amy has, you know, I, I really appreciated her as a colleague. Um, when I onboarded, she was a member of Tony's cabinet. President Frank's cabinet, and she was instrumental in helping the university navigate the stadium project. And I think that right there shows you exactly what she's going to do as a president. You know, anyone that can go all in on that facility and kind of turn the community tide to to, to get us to the point in which we could put a shovel in the ground and and build. You know, as we've all discussed and know, is the best stadium in America. You know, she she's not gonna she's not going to. Uh, you know, have any other attitude, you know, other than athletics is is complementary to the overall mission of the institution. And uh, we're, we're the key engagement asset of the university, and she's going to want to help us, you know, really fulfill that mission. And and, uh, and and beyond mission, you know, I mean, I think she's bought into the vision that, that you know, we've been talking about, you know, that we want to be, um, you know, we want to elevate the value of every CSU degree by making the college football playoff and NCAA postseason play in as many sports as possible, because that's when we get a chance to shine, uh, you know, a, a spotlight on on CSU in every way possible. And that gives her as president a chance to stand on the highest stage with the largest megaphone and talk about all the incredible things that this university does for not only Colorado, uh, but the globe. Well, just a couple more for you, Joe. The nomination window for the 31st Hall of Fame class opens uh, this coming Monday. Can you talk about the selection process, specifically nomination criteria, the process, and who who actually is, is there a committee who makes these decisions? Just curious about all that. Yeah, uh, it's a committee appointed by the director of athletics. Um, 
the chair of that committee is Kyle Neves, who's on our staff, and it's a it's a good cross section of people that that have a passion for CSU athletics and and have a deep knowledge of uh, of you know the people that have contributed to the traditions of CSU athletics. Um, so you know we we've gotten in a rhythm that we do the Hall of Fame and induction every every other year. So last time we did it was in 2021. And we uh, we inducted a class of five. I think we'll look to this year uh, to do you know a class of similar size, you know probably five to seven, um, you know. And and they they call through you know archives. You know one one of those committee members. I won't reveal them all, but you know John Hearn. So he's the he's the the official unofficial um, historian for CSU athletics and, and, you know, you all know John and, and what he's contributed to CSU athletics and the overall university with his passion for, you know, preserving our history. So we'll, we'll identify a, a really, you know, competitive list of people that, that, you know, deserve that option. And then the committee delivers that list to me and I, I review it and get a chance to nuance it, you know, um, and, and make, you know, a selection, you know, They'll they'll usually go above you know the five to seven and and uh, you know one of the criteria that we for for an induction to happen we want that person to be present so a lot of times if we've got active people in the professional ranks you know we'll we'll reach out we'll have a conversation but we we ask um, we'll hold off the actual induction until they until they're available when their calendar frees up and they've got the ability to be there so you know we do the induction around a, a fall football weekend. So, so that makes it challenging when we've got anyone who's an active NFL player in particular, but like, like Jason Smith, a few years back, you know, I called Jason and, and he, he was sort of on the fence about whether he's going to continue his professional career. He, he decided to kind of up one more year. And so we held off his induction until he finally made his full retirement. And, and then he made it to campus and we had a great celebration with him, but you know, it, it it's a it's an important thing that we do, um, you know, to memorialize the greats of CSU athletics and put a focus on Ram legends and and uh, you know for those of you that have an interest, you know, it's an open event. We actually do the induction ceremony. It's a, a banquet that we host at typically at Canvas Stadium. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can continue to build momentum around that event get people to participate because it's, it's pretty special. It's a special evening when you hear those people talk about, you know, what CSU meant to them, the teammates and coaches that mentored them. It's a powerful night. Has there been, and this kind of sparked a thought, we've talked about this for a long time. Has there ever been any talk about expanding or I guess not a ring of fame, but, you know, we've got the three names up on the, the side of canvas, you've got Eddie Hanna, Fun McGraw, and Greg Myers. Has there been any thought of expanding that? I mean, there's a lot of worthy football players out there over our history. Why have we just stuck with those three? Well, um, that's an interesting question. I appreciate it very much. Uh, you know, that, 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 in my opinion, is about the highest, is the highest honor that we can offer to anyone that played the sport of football. And, um, you know, certainly Eddie Hanna has his unique history with with uh, our department um, and, and and the university. Um, you know, he he passed away after after competing for CSU uh, as a student athlete, and and that's you know that that's a really really heartfelt situation. Um, the two others that are on on the stadium are College Football Hall of Fame members um so you know i i look at it you know and the time that i've been at csu I, i'm not sure that that i can think of a criteria that would be more important than being a college football hall of fame member and then certainly eddie's unique experience so if you start to think about who else deserves that opportunity it becomes in my mind a real challenge to kind of you know visualize what that would be and then and then how do you how do you make those choices moving forward so you know I, I feel really comfortable right now just feeling like you know one of the criteria needs to be you know a college football hall of fame member and uh you know I don't know when the next time we're gonna see one of our former players earn that recognition but 
but if we uh you know if we try to veer in a different direction you know then it then it becomes pretty cloudy you know who deserves that opportunity that that uh that and i'm sure there's people that could agree or disagree with that and and i know every day i'm going to wake up and make a decision that someone's not going to be happy with <laughs> yeah that's the way it works joe yeah <laughs> that happens with you <laughs> happens with all of us doesn't it first first yeah. time i've heard that <laughs> Well, uh, I guess this is a good one to wrap up on for me anyway. Um, we had a, a question from Brian in Arvada and basically asked, where do you see CSU in the next five years and beyond 10, you know, 10 years beyond? Obviously, I don't, don't know if you'll still be here, Joe, or not, but where do you envision CSU being at those points? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've had such a remarkable experience at every place that I've been, but you know, that, when when I cross into April of this year, this will be the longest I've been at any one place. It'll surpass my time at Michigan, which was eight years. And um, I mean, I, I I'm proud of this institution. I'm, you know, I'm. I think you know the sky's the limit. You know, right now we're we're working hard to recruit a VP for University Advancement to the University, and the the committee that's working on on. Amy's behalf, President Parsons' behalf, is really trying to understand the marketplace. And as we talk to people, which we've been doing all this week, um, it, it it's really fun to share, you know, who we are and where we think we're going. And institutions, I think, can be defined by two things, people in place. And I, I would argue with anyone that you know you, you couldn't have a better place to have a tier one research institution than Fort Collins, Colorado. And for decades, this place has has been able to attract remarkably talented people. And so I think we've got the best of both people and place. And when you have that, I think, you know, you, you can pick any point on the horizon as far out on the horizon as you want to. And, you know, you can get there. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to do as an institution, as a university is, is push in every direction to fulfill excellence in everything that we do. And I think for Colorado State Athletics, you know, that's that's earning championships. That's uh, playing at the highest level of FBS football. That is uh, uh, doing it, winning, winning, but winning with integrity. We're one of seven schools that have never had a major violation. And that's something that we talk about all the time. You know, mistakes are going to be made. But, you know, when you when you encounter a problem, you got to fix it. You know, so never pass a problem is one of our mantras and, and cultural expectations. And, uh you know, so I, I'm excited, you know, so, so where will we be in five years? You know, I, I hope uh, we're reflecting back on multiple championships by our football program. I hope Nico and his team have earned uh, uh, multiple Mountain West championships and have played, you know, deep into the NCAA tournament. I hope Ryan Williams has done the same and, and I hope all of our other programs, you know, I hope volleyball continues to churn away under Emily Cohen's leadership, you know, in the way that it did with Tom and, and even elevates beyond that. I know that that's what Tom would want to have happen is, is that program to surpass the expectations that he set for it. So, you know, we want to be the preeminent program in the Mountain West. We want to be recognized as one of the best intercollegiate athletic departments in the nation. So that's a lofty goal and a great vision. And, and we're recruiting everyone we can to that effort, you know, student athletes, alumni, people in our community, we want them to be with us, behind us, locked arm to move forward. Well, another great discussion, Joe. Really appreciate it. Mike, you got anything left? No, I just want to say thanks. You know, this is this it's always good and it's always eye-opening. And you know, our fans love to hear it. Even though sometimes they might disagree, they love hearing it. So thank you very much. Yep. Absolutely. I love to participate. You guys are awesome. You're you're part of building the culture that we want to make happen here at CSU. So, you know, I'm I'm all in and our coaches are too. And I'm glad to hear you're gonna have some student athletes on in the future too. Yep. Tonight. All right. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Joe. You bet. Appreciate Thank it. you guys. Have a great day. Go Rams. Get us Go a win Rams. up there in San Diego. Okay. All right. Thanks, See ya. That was Joe Parker. Whether you like him or not, or agree with everything he does, or his success in football, <laughs> whatever it may be, you got to give him credit for coming on with us every month, answering our questions. Got up at, uh, joined us at 7 a.m. He's in San Diego right now and, and uh, was committed to to joining us and talking for an hour. So uh, much appreciation to Joe with his hard work. He would hope that at some point we're going to get some, some luck turning his way as well. So 
Thanks everybody for listening. Just want to ask you to support our sponsors. As always, they are what make this whole thing go. So as mentioned, we are going to be hosting Tavy Jackson, Isaiah Rivera, and Patrick Cartier on the podcast tonight. We'll do a separate recording. We'll either send that out uh, late tonight or early tomorrow morning, Friday morning. So stay tuned for that. Go in.